Oh, it's been a while since the Pac-12 Apostles have been back together. It is 2021 and we are live and in full effect. The 2021 season for the football... It's 2021 and the Pac-12 Apostles are back. We may not be 100%, but we are here and ready to roll. The importance of 2021 for the Pac-12 cannot be understated. We're going to update recruiting. The transfer portal is on fire. New coaching hires and moves within and outside of the conference. What happened to the two bowl games that the Pac-12 played? Are there any legitimate Heisman hopefuls for 2021? And we're going to review the Pac-12 awards for this year. I'm George Reister, and he's Ralph Amsden, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. The Pac-12 Apostles is the podcast by Pac-12 fans for Pac-12 fans, where you can get the truth, be entertained, and get the real if you want to get a hold of us, shoot us an email. I'm Matt, I-M-M-A-D at unafraidshow.com or hit us up on Twitter at Pac-12Apostles, Ralph at Ralph Amsden and me, George, at George Reister. And most importantly, please make sure that you share the podcast with a friend. Tell them about it, share it so we can have, so we can continue to grow be exposed to bigger audiences and we can grow this thing together so we appreciate it yeah so i guess it's time t- time to go ralph so we haven't recorded for a while yeah it's been a minute and happy new year brother yeah happy new year to you too so i i said we're not a hundred percent so if ralph sounds weak or frail it's because <laughs> he's not eating he's on a liquid diet for 30 days yeah, yeah, I had uh, I had seven molars removed um, a week ago tomorrow, so I'm only six days out. Uh, my mouth definitely feels uh, a little bit hollow. I have more teeth transfer out of my mouth than University of Arizona has had wide receivers go into the portal somehow. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been a rough few days. Um, but you know, it is what it is. I think it's going to be good in the long run. My mouth has, I've had like a sore jaw for almost seven years, uh, because I got some, some bad dental work. Nah, I want to say bad dental work. Um, I'm also like, I'm never going to see this guy again. And so I don't know why I'm going out of my way to be nice to him. But when I was 19, I was living in Wyoming and I was working for AmeriCorps. Um, and AmeriCorps is like, it's like uh, the Peace Corps, but not overseas. So you get uh, you get contracted out to um, you enlist, I guess. And there's all sorts of like weird rules that I'm sure nobody follows. But me being goody two shoes, I followed to a T. You can't have any other source of income. You can't be in school. You have to be wholly dedicated to uh, whatever you're placed at. And, um, basically nonprofits all across the country apply to AmeriCorps for vistas, which are like people just, uh, I was a vista. So 
and the government paid us $777 a month. And it was so that we could know what living at the poverty line felt like. Um, so that we could, I don't know, it, the way they justified it is really weird now that I think back on it. Um, but th- so they pay you poverty wages to work as a full-time employee for a nonprofit. And that nonprofit has you under contract for a year. And you have to show up and you have to do everything that they say. And at the end of that year, they either back then would give you a $1,300 stipend or $5,000 for school. And I, uh, in the middle of all that, I realized like, oh my gosh, I think I have some cavities. And I went in to the closest dentist that I could find. And this office, (laughs) this office had just opened. And the guy, the dentist there was, um, he had been out of practice for two years because he had been bucked off a horse. And he was like injured to the point where he had to learn how to walk and talk again. So after two years, he was able to open his dental practice back up and I was his first patient. And, um, it turned out I had some like genetic issues under the gum line and he went in and he did his best to fix them. It cost like $9,000. And mind you, I only made like $8,400 for the entire year working for AmeriCorps. So that was a pretty rough one. Um, and, uh, anyway, the dental work didn't hold up. So here I am, uh, 36 years old, 17 years later, and I had to have almost every tooth that he worked on completely removed. So I have, um, and it, this isn't the first time, this is just the latest bit of work that I've had done. So you have 12 molars in your mouth and I only have two left. So I'm getting like, uh, you know, I'm getting new teeth installed at the end of January. So until then I couldn't chew if I wanted to. So I'm just straight up eating soups and smoothies from like daily harvest and, uh, and stuff like that. So anybody has any recommendations? Um, if anybody was able to sit through this really long, boring story, I told about why I don't have any teeth. Uh, uh, hit me up on Twitter at Ralph Amson. Let me know what it is that I'll actually be able to eat over the next three and a half weeks because I uh, I am craving all sorts of stuff that I can't have. I was ready to fight someone for chicken tenders last night. And today, all I've been able to think about all day long is a carne asada quesadilla from Chipotle dipped in the side of queso. Uh, that are just that <laughs> I'm just having these fat people daydreams and I can't act on them. Bruh, do you, <laughs> do you realize how fat that sounds, Ralph? Oh my God. It's like already just cheese and flour and I'm dipping it in more cheese and then like a 32 ounce uh, Mr. Pib with it. Oh, you didn't even go for a Dr. Pepper. You go for the Mr. Pib. Well, no, like, because that's what they have at Chipotle. They don't have Dr. Pepper at at, at, uh, at Chipotle. Which, okay, P.S. that gotta, lets you know you spend a lot of time at a <laughs> at a place when you know their actual uh, drink, whether whether they're like a Seven Up company or a Co- I mean a, a Pepsi company or a Coke company or. N- non-affiliated or if they're one of those what what are those all natural sodas called i don't really drink soda so i don't know <laughs> that's right man you're you're like a food elitist but i will tell you i will tell you <laughs> that my eating habits have just through peer pressure and proximity improved slightly thanks to you i mean not that this month matters at all 
um, because I'm, I, you know, unless you can recommend what kind of like marinara to sip on, because <laughs> I can't do anything else. Oh, dude, yes, yes, you, yes, you need to get Rayos, Rayos, and just do what? Yes. Dip my finger in it and rub it on my gums. Correct. So <laughs> Rayos on a whole side note. I know we have just devolved this whole podcast at this point, but it is a fantastic marinara. It's a, it's a. Italian restaurant that started in New York and now they have one here in LA and they're run by real Italians like like Joey Bag of Donuts he'll be at the door and you know like you know they got the they got the whole thing going you know you know, I, got, I have to check it out, man. The wife is uh is supremely Italian, so we, uh, I have to see if if uh, if I can get her on board. Okay, cool. Because I'm well, I'm gonna have to just drink the sauce like i've no i've no other other options at this point well that is well you will you will be okay hopefully if you can stay away from sonic milkshake that's you a- will drop a bunch <laughs> of water. so yeah we did a little bit of show pro we were talking about how how i should just use the 30 days to to like lose as much weight as possible since i'm not able to chew anything anyway and i told you i broke down two different times already and hit sonic for a for a milkshake, but I have in, I'm on day seven. I've, I've lost four pounds, not, not through, um, any effort of, of my own. I, I have working out a little bit, new, new year, new me type stuff. Do you, do you have any resolutions, George? No, I don't make new year's resolutions. I just, you know, when, whenever I feel that something needs to be changed, I try to do it at that moment and not, wait until some landmark event instead of saying, all right, I'm going to start on Sunday. No, it's either I'm going to start today or, you know, but aren't you like, you're day. like a, you're a vision board guy, right? Like you're a, yes, you see it and achieve board. it. Okay. Yes. Oh my God. I didn't do my vision board for 2021 yet. What am I doing? How what is that I different? Doing? I need what you to explain to me how it's different. I need you to explain to me how it's different of like making a collage on the inside of your locker versus just writing down. Like I would like to do this. And then I'm ultimately failing. <laughs> because on the vision board, so the uh, Bible says what that you're supposed to write your vision down on a tablet, or whatever. So I take pictures, uh, I put it all up, and once you see it enough, like it's almost like a motivation daily. It's like a reminder where you're like, oh yeah, I, I need to go get that. I got to go get that, or and it just keeps your focus, and also you've put it out there. I mean, I, I'm not a against writing it down. I, I just just the idea that it's some sort of resolution that I'm going to do something dramatically different. No, it's just like I'm going to continue to manifest these things in my in my life the way that I want them. I wonder if the Pac-12 should if we should have come up with with resolutions for the Pac-12. I I, I think they'd just be all of the blatantly obvious things that uh, that we talk about on this show okay, every cool. single week. That's, let's do that then. What are you? What would be your two resolutions you can you can give one i'll give one so then you can continue to think as well since this is off the cuff um i'll i'll go first my first resolution for the pac-12 for 2021 is fire sorry ass larry scott like get him (laughs) gone i mean just don't continue to throw good money after bad money find a new leader new direction that way when and find a way oh well i n- never mind i'm not going to give away my second one but get rid of him 
That's the first thing that you have to do. And truthfully, there's not too much worse that you could do. Like I, like um, I remember talking about Michigan fans where they're like, we want Jim Harbaugh gone. He's terrible. And I'm like, the, the floor is pretty like, there's a long way down from Jim Harbaugh. Like I saw the rich rod days. I saw the Brady Hoke days. There's a long way down, but from Larry Scott, the floor is not that far. Like if, like if you fall from there, you're not going to break an ankle. Like you're not going to Josh Shaw and end up having to, you know, pretend like you saved the, your, your nephew from drowning or something. Nope. All you are is just going to like, like my, my one and a half year old can fall from that far and be okay. I don't know if we see when the Pat last time Pac-12 got together and tried to make up a, a new year's resolution. The thing they came up with, it was, can we pay off a LA times reporter to be nice to us? <laughs> so I, I think, I think uh, much in the spirit of how the Manny Pacquiao Floyd Mayweather fight happened six years after it should have, I think it's time to, to, to dip back into that, uh, the direct TV box and i, I know no, dude direct tv is getting ready to be sold so so i, I just quickly uh direct tv is getting ready to be sold and also nfl sunday ticket is no longer even going to be on on direct tv it's going to be either probably on apple tv amazon or somebody like that is going to own the streaming rights to it but that would be pretty Pac-12 to end up on the network that everybody else is for for the streaming rights that everybody else is leaving. Okay, well, I, I wasn't aware of that, but I'm the the Pacquiao Mayweather fight six years after it should have happened ended up being a bad thing anyway. So um, I just I I don't know what achievable goals exist outside. You said fire Larry Scott. I mean, Larry Scott as much part of the Pac-12 as anybody else. Um, and I don't think he's going to have that goal for himself. I would, I would counter that if it was his goal, he's been doing his absolute best to achieve it. And nobody will, uh, no, (laughs) nobody will pull the plug on him. He's done absolutely everything he possibly could to, to not have this job anymore. And, and somehow, uh, 2020 hits the, you know, the, the, the worst full year, um, for the majority of people in this country and in this uh, region that the Pac-12 exists in, in in at least my lifetime, and he ends up coming out of it almost smelling like roses because the pandemic just provided such an enormous distraction from a lot of his ineptitude. You know, people were so concerned about whether or not games would even be able to be played that they stopped thinking about the fact that the product is completely degraded, uh, largely at his hands, you know. And so um, I think that that he is going to count it as an accomplishment. He is probably going to count it as an accomplishment. And I'm 99 percent sure about this that things go back to normal. Like he would put things went back to normal on his resume as if he had anything to do with it. Yes. Yes, he will. So, so your first thing is to fix the TV situation, right? Just availability. It's the same thing that you talk about constantly. The best abilities availability. And if you can't watch pack 12 games, you know, 
what are we doing here? And I, I right now, I'm, I'm struggling with just the expense of, of having to have YouTube TV, uh, trying to be a cord cutter, trying to be reasonable with my finances in a pandemic year, but having to have YouTube TV to be able to, um, watch the football games, none of which were on the PAC 12 network except for one, but then also have to have sling TV plus the DVR feature for all the PAC 12 basketball games. Uh, only some of which have, have been played so far and it's, uh, it's frustrating. And then, you know, in the days when I could, um, spend the, the money to go out when I had the ability to, to go out to bars and restaurants when that was an okay thing to do, trying to find the places that would actually uh, carry Pac-12 Network in some capacity was always such a massive hassle. Um, you know, and then the, the quality of the broadcasts aren't that great. And, and then CBS introduces this like super ultra 4K make you sick to your stomach. It's so clear camera and you don't realize how far behind the pac 12 is until you see the advancements that everybody else is making. And, um, I just, I don't know, man, it just, the, the lack of availability is slowly killing the, the fervor and the appreciation for the conference that you and I love that you and I are trying to do a podcast on that you and I are trying to make something of, of this entire thing of, of our fandom for this conference. But apathy is just, is, is so rampant right now because of Larry Scott and because of the lack of availability of the network and of the games. And because the, the schools um, in it of themselves have moved really, really far away from prioritizing just their fan base so that they can get this TV money uh, for screens that they're not even really on, you know, and they're playing games at nine in the morning and nine at night and all that stuff and Thursdays and Fridays. Um, and it's just, it, it sucks, man. I just want to be in a position where there's some dependability where, you know, this entire half of the United States that the PAC 12 takes up can know when the games are going to be in played and, and, and where they can watch them. And, uh, and, and so whatever helps move us closer to that direction, you know, for, for me right now, that would be, uh, just more options, whether that's direct TV or something else. Cause any, anything that's good for the conference is ultimately good for this podcast. Cause the more people that are educated about PAC 12 football would want to listen to, to something like our show. And it just, uh, you know, I, I, I can't imagine, you know, working for one of these schools and not being f- feeling supported by your conference and your, your leadership when I already don't feel supported by the leadership of the, of the PAC 12 conference, when we're trying to be the type of media that would enhance people's experience and fandom yes, advocating for the conference right and, advocates and that and that's just it the people who want to advocate for this conference freaking hate the leadership of the conference and that's not it's just not sustainable yep it yeah it it makes no sense and so my second Resolution for the Pac-12, because it would have been to, you know, fix the TV contracts, find a better solution to your availability. My second one is fix the damn officiating, please, for the love of God. Like, get qualified people in. You you take some of the money that you're going to spend on consultants to 
to uh, make people believe that the officiating is not a problem and to say, oh, it's on par with the other conferences. Whatever you're going to, the hundreds of thousands of dollars that you're going to spend on that, spend it on paying the officials, getting higher quality officials from other conferences instead of letting your officials leave to other conferences. Dude, I'm I'm smiling so big right now. Like I'll never, it will never not be funny to me that people pay consultants to tell them the common knowledge thing that they knew that they already wanted to do or needed to do in their heart. Like the, the amount of bad money that gets thrown at, at some of these, like if, if you can get a consultancy gig, like if, if that's your racket, God bless you, because I'm just thinking about (laughs) this turnkey solutions, which conducted Arizona University of Arizona's coaching search, and they end up hiring a guy that they wanted anyway after they threw a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars to this company to help them look for a coach that they already knew they were going to hire. And I just had to laugh because just the the this conference's history with trying to pay people tell them how to do their jobs after they are already the highest paid people to do those jobs in the first place that that will never not be funny to me. And anybody who has ever made a dime off the pack 12, anybody who has ever made a nickel off the pack 12 in a consultancy role, I applaud you and you are hilarious and you are my hero. Yeah, that that's a good point, dude, because just the idea that you pay somebody to do your job for you, like it's it's different if you want to get a consultant to um, to bring some new, fresh ideas or something that you're not qualified to do that, you know, if if I'm a, you know, if, if I'm a a bass player, a guitar player and I want to, and and I'm a rock singer, but then I want to bring in a consultant who does, you know, somebody who specializes in making country hits or rap hits. That makes sense. But the idea that I'm going to bring in another rock consultant, you're like, I thought I was supposed to be the expert in this. It's absolutely silly. So what, what's your second resolution for the Pac-12? Well, I, it, yeah, I, it just it, everything the Pac-12 does always reminds me of the scene from Elf where James Kahn is looking at Andy Richter and Kyle Gass, and he's saying that you're telling me that my crack team of children's storybook writers is telling me that we need to bring in another writer? And they're like, yeah, (laughs) Miles Finch. (laughs) Like every single thing. Yeah, but I I guess my second resolution is is a pretty simple one, and it's one that was brought up. um, It's one that was brought up on Twitter, and it's one that we're going to talk about in the show. Maybe we could just get into it. But the I just watched the University of Alabama completely dominate the uh, the Heisman Trophy conversation, and you know, shout out to Devonte Smith and, and congratulations to him. But it's been a minute since the uh, the Pac-12 had a legitimate Heisman contender, and uh, I think I think that needs to be on the list. I think that if you want any type of national prominence or recognition whatsoever. It's not going to come from the leadership of your conference because the leadership of your conference is inept. So it has to come from the talent. 
right? And and the sexiest thing about the talent of the Pac-12 this last year um, was a, a an offensive tackle, a generational offensive tackle who opted out. <laughs> and so, you know, he's probably going to end up a, a, a Miami Dolphin or something like that. So, yeah. you know, I, I just um, I just feel like there there has to be uh, some really, really great individual performances in 2021 to shift some of the perspective back toward the Pac-12. And there's a few people that I have on my list that I really think could do it. And I don't know how you feel, George, but I think that the the obvious ones are right there. Like you got you guys like Keaton Slovis who are going to put up, you know, astronomical numbers just in the offense. And you really, really need guys like that to to come through and to show up. But I'm just wondering for you, George, is 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 there anybody else that we can expect to uh to throw their name in the hat. Like, like, is there, cause we got good players and we got players that you personally love to champion, but I would never put in the breath of, 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 you know, being in the Heisman conversation, like a, like a chase Garbers and, and stuff like that. Is there anybody oh, else no. from this conference that you think is, is uh, on the verge of having the type of breakout, not, and not just a regular breakout. Cause you need to be extra special on the West coast um to, to to be able to maintain the attention and gaze nobody in the Pac-12 is ever going to win a Heisman again like I'm convinced of that if Christian McCaffrey didn't do it nobody else in the Pac-12 is ever going to do it however Gee. being okay, in that see, conversation is super important it's okay super important. so so look here here is the issue is I do believe that teams in the Pac-12 can win can win the Heisman the issue is, is that you have to have somebody, the way the Heisman Trophy works, quarterback or running back on a top five or 10 team. And you got, so, and we have to be clear here, the Devontae Smith thing will not happen again for 20 more years, 30 more years. So you can't oh, say. this was an actual, well, he was just so like Mac Jones didn't have the cachet that like if if Tua was there, Mac uh, Devontae Smith doesn't win the Heisman Trophy because Tua would have got all the credit despite like if you trade Tua for Mac Jones, give him the exact same stats, every single pass is the exact same. Tua wins the Heisman Trophy. Interesting. He had the name, and the the difference is now is that people could appreciate how good Devontae Smith was because I do believe that he was the best player on that offense. And then, but and then Mac Jones wasn't even the second best. Najee Harris was the second best. Yeah, I I don't know. I feel like it, they managed to do one of those things you could only really do in NCAA 2014, right? Like get three people in as a as a finalist. I personally, I think they had great performances, whatever. That's awesome. You know, do I think that they, any of those three were the, the one of the three best players in all of college football, like players? No. Um, but- what? You don't wait. No, no, no. I'm well, okay. Let's just say offensive. You don't think that Devonte Smith was one of the three most dominant offensive players this season. 
Well, I'm like like I said, performances and and overall skill are completely different. Devonte Smith's not going to be a top five pick in the upcoming NFL draft. He'll be a top fifteen pick though. Yeah. So, but so was Jerry Judy was number fifteen overall pick last year. Like that. That's not surprise. I'm saying like if if we're talking about the best players, nine times out of ten, ninety nine times out of a hundred, probably you're going to go with a quarterback, right? And and I would take. I would take personally Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields over if if we were actually like running a game with a roster that we built. Oh yes, over yes, any yes. of the Trevor, three. Right? Okay, okay. But, but Trevor Lawrence was the best player in college football this season. Like regardless of position, any of that, the dude is just otherworldly, like Andrew Luck type of good. Right, and and I would say that Justin Fields probably had two of the top five performances. Like he's. He, he did some really special stuff this year. There just wasn't enough of a body of work. But the way that I, the way that I look at it is this is uh, an anomaly um, because the last time that this was even fathomable uh, was what? Larry Fitzgerald, 2003? Yeah. And it didn't yep. happen. And before that, it was probably Randy Moss, 1998. Yep. And it didn't happen. So you got to go all the way back to 1991 before you have Desmond Desmond Howard Howard, actually won. And he was doing more than just catching passes, right? He was everywhere. So, um, yeah. So I I would say that I would say that you you could if if you were trying to build a Heisman candidate from the current slate of Pac-12 talent, there are people that I genuinely believe that you should consider. But that would, number one, the Pac-12 is already at a massive disadvantage as far as how they're going to be judged. One, you have to be in a major market. Two, you definitely cannot be anything other than a quarterback. So right now, all our hopes and dreams are probably pinned on on Keaton Slovis, and, and it just is what it is. But if there was anybody else, I would say people will look at a year like this and say, oh, a guy like Drake London could do it. And I'm telling you, no, he couldn't. <laughs> no, he couldn't because there's a reason that this hadn't happened in 30 years. And there's definitely a reason that it wouldn't happen for a Pac-12 air raid tight end slash wide receiver hybrid in the same offense as a Keaton Slovis. So I'm- Okay, so see, see, here is the biggest problem is this. Okay, so we we can go through the Heisman trophy guys right the 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 people that can potentially have a shot so here is the problem with keaton slovis is that i don't think that keaton slovis is as good as everybody says he is i don't like how many times this year have we questioned is his arm hurt the ball doesn't come out right he plays terrible halves yes he's coming back at the end but like like you're not having just an overwhelming dominant performance. I'm he can do it, but I think that USC's offense doesn't lend itself to do that in the in the air rate. Yeah, you can put up some big numbers, but you're also playing against UCLA, who's better, is particularly on defense and in the secondary. Their pass rush, everything. You're playing against Oregon. You're playing against Washington. You're playing against Cal. Some of the better defenses in the conference, you're going to struggle in the air raid against that. So, I mean, they even struggled against Arizona State, who's a who is a 
uh, structurally and scheme-wise, a good defense as well. And they have good players too. And you struggled against Arizona. So, like, what about this leads me to believe that that this is going to be something that's just so outrageously special? So, like, can Keaton Slovis do it? Yes. Do I believe that that will happen? No. And then look at the look at the rest of the quarterbacks. We don't know who Oregon's quarterback is going to be. Stanford's quarterback is gone. In in um, Davis Mills, Washington, Dylan Morris. Eh, nope. It, will, will he even be the starting quarterback? Sam Norrier at Colorado. Nope. Utah, Jake Bentley. Nope. Jaden Daniels. I mean, possibly will they let him throw enough and will ASU win enough games? Yes. I would circle him as a guy who would have a chance if ASU goes on a run and wins the Pac-12 South. Yeah, I, I'll I'll throw Jaden Daniels' name in the the hat and Jaden Delora at Washington State. Oh, okay, okay, uh, and I, I I think that you'll probably see some really big numbers out of him as well. I'll give you a super super dark horse, big time dark horse. Uh, that that could have a couple of really big games early and potentially get some whispers. And I'm not just pulling this out of thin air. I'm talking about somebody who, if you actually extrapolate, um, if you actually extrapolate what they were able to do this year uh, over a full season with like a full workload would would have been pretty amazing. So, George, I want you to throw out what you think a a Heisman level number of touches for a running back would be? Heisman level number of touches. Touches. Okay, so, so so both rushes right. and receptions. Okay, let's just look at uh, the kid Jefferson out of out of uh, Oregon State. He had the most touches. Through through the six games out of any other, but well, the most rushes. So out of six games, that's 133. He's had 133 rushes. So double that through 12 games, that's 266 plus another catch, about 300. So about 300 touches. 300 touches. Okay. So assuming that Arizona State was able to put the ball in Rashad White's hands. 300 times between uh, rushes and receptions. And he had the same uh, yards per touch that he had this year in 2020. Then what we're talking about is 3,500 total yards. 3,500. Dude, stop. See, see here, here's where we here's get the, Here's the thing. Bro. He had 42 carries for 420 yards. He averaged 10 yards per carry. He averaged 19 yards per catch. Okay. So, it, I mean, he did it over four games. He was an absolute monster. If he was able to do that over 13, then you might have you, – you might – have somebody who is worthy of some type of consideration. One of the biggest issues with him is he splits with Trainum and he plays in Tempe and he's a running back. And he's yeah, a Juco Part guy. of that is just the fact that you 
that he has such a limited number of touches. Okay, let's consider this. Just think about this. You just gave me an outrageous amount of yards and all this, right? Right. Do you realize that Christian McCaffrey owns the single season, um, the uh, the uh, single season all purpose yards in 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 college history, and it's like twenty seven hundred. Right. Right. <laughs> so I mean, it's it's him. It's Christian McCaffrey, then Barry Sanders. And you're telling me that train him's going to do that? How about, how about no? How, no, not train him. Rashad White. Rashad White. And so, okay, see, that's Rashad the thing. White. is like That's how unlikely it would be, is you can't even remember which running back I was talking about. And he also is a Juco dude. So it's not like there was any hype on him um, at all. And so, but I don't know, man. He could be, he could be a star. Arizona State fans would be would be comfortable with him replicating this production, uh, even with the amount of touches that he was averaging per per game, which I think was ten. Uh, they'd be happy with him doing it on 150. They'd be ecstatic with him doing it on 150 touches next year. But if he got feature back looks and he continued with the production that he had this year against some of the weak defenses that he's going to go up against. It's possible, but the one of the issues with the Heisman is you have to start lobbying right now. I'm telling you, man, I think yeah. the hopes of the Pac-12 for 2021 are almost entirely, entirely resting on Keaton Slovis' shoulders because nobody's going to take Jarek Broussard seriously. And I'm sorry to Colorado fans, but that's well, just the truth. They're not going to win enough games, dude. They're not going to win enough games. Even if even if they have a great season and go eight and four, he he's out of it. There's there's no shot just because of the way that the Heisman does its actual voting and the way the voters work. And unfortunately um, for the Pac-12, and unfortunately for everybody, for everybody, and this is incredibly horrific and tragic. The Pac-12's biggest star in the making was in Salt Lake City. Is Ty Jordan? We talked about him on this podcast constantly all throughout last year. And, uh, and he had an incident at home uh, in Texas over the Christmas holiday where he accidentally shot himself in the hip and, and he's no longer with us. But that was yeah. probably the biggest over the next two years, uh, just as far as the level of talent. I mean, that was a guy who, who, who probably is a little bit more talented than Eno Benjamin came out of the same area, trained with him, ran like him. Uh, and and the way that that Utah used him, he was he was fixing to probably be the Pac-12's best player. He's already named Pac-12 Freshman of the Year, and uh, and I mean you just can't get past how unbelievably um, devastatingly tragic that whole situation is. But he he's somebody whose name that I absolutely would have thrown in there as someone that the Pac-12 could could have seeked to start promoting yesterday as. This is somebody who you need to make sure you are tuned in to see every single week. Yep. Yep. It is. Okay. So I'm looking at 2021 though. So those are the guys that we think can, can win it. Obviously some guy like a Sean dollars at Oregon or, you know, a running back at, you know, at, at one of the other teams at UCLA or somewhere else or Arizona state can make a run if the team wins, wins enough games. But I'm looking at 2021 as a hugely important year for the PAC 12 in general. Number one, 
with the with the TV contract negotiations, figuring out what they're going to do with Larry Scott. Those things have to be top priority. But most importantly, I think it has to be winning on the field because you don't get too many opportunities to play other conferences. And when you do that, well, and when you don't, you have to maximize those opportunities. Like, for instance, Oregon plays this year. They play Fresno State, Stony Brook. I don't even know how that got on the schedule. And Oregon State, I'm sorry, and Ohio State at the shoe. So no Justin Fields. So they're going to be breaking in a new quarterback. So that's an opportunity for you to win. Ohio State's a good, good, really good football team. They're going to be talented no matter what. But that's a game that you have to win. UCLA next year. They play at the Rose Bowl against LSU. You have to win that game or that you have to play that game super close and then you can't lose to Hawaii or Fresno State. You cannot under any circumstances lose to either one of them. And then you have uh, Washington. Washington plays at Michigan. That's a game that they can clearly win. You have to do that because even if Oregon loses to Ohio State in a close game, if then Michigan has a good season, Washington beats Michigan, and then the Oregon-Washington uh, game now looks way better. Whoever the winner is, if Oregon wins that game, then you're like, oh, wow, this is a super good football team. Washington wins, you're like, oh, wow, this is a dominant football team. You have to make the most of those opportunities. And then you have uh, Stanford for 2021. They got Notre Dame. Jeez. <laughs> They're not conferences wild, dude. It, they have Kansas State, Vanderbilt, and Notre Dame. They played 12 Power 5 games. They're like, we're not scheduling no damn Stony Brook. And then you have Arizona State. There's this kind of light. They got UNLV, Southern Utah, BYU. And those are the teams that you have to have show up in the non-conference. ASU can't. I mean, they, they, they're they looking at – honestly, if if ASU's under anything um, under 10, 11 wins next year after a bowl, they screwed up. They screwed up bad because the schedule works out in their favor. The roster works out in their favor. They're one of the only colleges in all of college football that is getting – kids that are eligible for the draft to come back and run it back again. They've got a quarterback that we didn't mention when we were talking about potential um, Heisman candidates, but that Arizona state fans will absolutely tell you he deserves to be in that conversation. They recruited some wide receivers who were supposed to be really special. We just talked about what they have at running back. It's not like there's no excuses. When you talk about that non-conference schedule, they got to take care of BYU they got to run up stats against um, UNLV and uh, and Southern Utah, um, and yeah, I mean it's got to be it. They have to have their eye on the prize. They can't be um, playing other teams into games like they like uh, Herm Edwards' team uh, has a tendency to do, and then just hanging around 
uh, and hoping to draft past some of some of these uh, high level teams they play like they've done against Michigan State a couple of times in the last few years. They have to be on it from the jump. And um, and I think the schedule allows for them to do that. But it also means that people probably aren't going to take them very seriously because, you know, people don't know unless you unless you follow uh unless you follow lower level football you wouldn't realize southern utah's uh entire team is actually stacked but they they have no business hanging around with anybody from the pac-12 you know so it's it's definitely going to be an interesting year for them but it would be 10 times better for arizona state to have had a michigan state on their schedule this year yeah yep no, no, that definitely would have would have been. And truthfully, that's been the best non-conference win for the the Pac-12 in a while, dude. A while. Yeah, because the the because the Colorado thing over Nebraska, like you want the 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 win over the brand is fantastic, right? The win over the brand is is epic, but Nebraska actually is terrible. They're terrible, so it doesn't mean anything really all that much in the long run. And then when you consider that Colorado turned around and lost to air force, like eight seconds later, it, it really doesn't mean anything. So, you know, you, you have to take advantage of the fact, and the fact that we, in 2020, the thing that we lost as a conference that hurts the most is the shot at Bama, right. And the, and the shot at Ohio state, the two teams that are going to be playing for a title not being able to have those teams come into the Pac-12 so the Pac-12 has the opportunity to show what they're worth is horrendous. Exactly. Though you are 100%. You are 100% right, dude. 100% right. It it just so it matters in terms of of how the conference is perceived. And when you are doing things to make sure, and when you have a problem with your conference and how it's, and how people look at it, the only way out is to do the hard thing. You can't do the easy, you can't do the easy, easy thing and think it's going to happen. You have to do the hard thing in the situation. Um, the and, and one of the things that's hard for some of these college teams is the recruiting. And the recruiting is putting the conference at a disadvantage. And you have Oregon who has recruited their last three cycles. This year they'll finish top seven. They finished top seven. They finished seven two years ago, and last year they finished what 11th or 13th or something and this is going to be an opportunity so they've been recruiting at a high level usc had a disaster last season they have no linemen they got all the dbs and quarterbacks that a, a man could wish for but and they finally got Corey foreman but their offensive line recruiting and defensive line recruiting in general has been trash so it's so it's like how do you do that? And then Washington has fallen out of the top. I know they had a small class, but you can, what Lane Kiffin signed a class of 15 that was in the top 10 or 13 that was in the top 10. So it's like, you can do it. 
Arizona State and Cal have increased. Well, I should, shouldn't even say Arizona State because they dropped all their kids. Cal has improved their recruiting. Like everybody else in the conference has to pull their weight, and everybody's not doing it right now. Yeah, I mean, what'll be interesting to see is if the Pac-12 can can be on the innovative forefront of the portal, uh, if they can embrace free agency, if they can resist the temptation to fill the class with high school kids and leave six to eight spots open for every single team so that when the Pac-12 loses big-time talent, and, and, and now I'm going to say big-time talent, and people at University of Washington are going to mock me because he didn't win the starting job uh, this year, and it went to Dylan Morris instead. But if you you should be able to leave enough spots open that when a guy like Jacob Sermon wants to leave University of Washington, that he doesn't end up at Central Michigan. Right, yeah but, like, that, yeah, yeah, but the problem with that is because UCLA got one of Oregon. I mean, got one of Washington's quarterbacks. They did. So it, it's just a matter of that. That usually means because people will take quarterbacks. That usually means that they didn't have a high enough rating on on him. Like that the that people didn't believe in him the way that he needed them to for them to be willing to say, all right. Okay, come to our school because Arizona has a quarterback problem. Oh, definitely they do. They, they do. have, yeah, because 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 Grant Gannell, he went where? Memphis. Yeah. So who's left on their roster b- besides Rhett, uh, Rhett Rodriguez? You know, Rhett, Rhett Rod's gone too. Rhett Rod hit the portal Who left? also. So did the top five wide receivers. The top five wide receivers, Drew Dixon, Jamari Joyner, Booby Curry, um, Stanley Berryhill, all those guys, they all bounce. So should we just throw Arizona out of the Pac-12 and bring in Boise State? Because they, they they could probably give more. Say that, uh, that's bad. You always were against Boise State coming to the Pac-12, and then Arizona got bad enough to where. But, uh, so let's talk about Arizona. Since you since you brought it up, let's talk about Let's talk about this hire. Let's talk about Jed Fish. What did you think of that? I didn't understand it. I mean, granted, like, so mind you, I was on the outrageous bandwagon on this. I was on the outrageous side of this because Arizona's in such a untenable situation financially because they just paid Sumlin's buyout. They had just paid Rich Rod's buyout. They got, uh, you know, stuff going on, hiring lawyers for this FBI thing with the basketball team. You had the scandal with track. I mean, you're, you're paying money out the wazoo. So you needed to get a bargain. And you needed to get a good high. Like, you needed somebody who's not going to pull a, um, oh, my gosh. What's the guy's name who left Colorado to go to Michigan State? Mel Tucker? <laughs> yeah. Somebody is not going to Mel Tucker you. Mind you, I, I'm, I'm not disparaging Mel Tucker because I get it. Why um Michigan State, they offered him so much money, so much money for his assistance, all of this stuff. He couldn't turn it down. They made him an offer he could not refuse. And it's Big Ten. So there's plenty of money, plenty of money for recruiting. He he's like, yo, I I feel like I have a better chance of being successful here. So I get it. 
Arizona needed somebody who was going to stay. So the idea that they would um, like bring in a former player in Antoine Kaysan and and he would bring in you, you, you know good big time coaches and take less money and stay. I I was on that outrageous train. Or you hire somebody who has Arizona ties, like the uh like the head coach at at San Jose State, who wants to be there. But instead, they let the president of the school pick the football coach instead of the athletic director. So if I'm the athletic director, I'm out of there, bro. I'm I'm on the first thing smoking. I guess. I mean, Jetfish definitely was not on the list of people that I thought that they should consider. Um, I I don't know. I. I think that University of Arizona's fans were kind of on suicide watch there for a minute with the hire. But as things go, as with any hire, over time, you sort of calm down. You talk yourself into it a little bit, right? Like, he had a decent time at University of Michigan in the year he was there, even though I don't think he was calling plays. He had a decent time Josh Rosen's junior year as a coordinator at UCLA. Um, I think one of the biggest concerns about Jed Fish for me was the last time he entered year three at any job was 2006 as like an analyst for the Baltimore Ravens. So he's bounced around a whole lot. Um, I find the staff that he put together on the offensive side of the ball intriguing, but nothing about it is in any way... um, Sexy, I guess, I I guess I would say. Uh, So they got uh, Jimmy Doherty in to coach uh, the quarterbacks and Jimmy Doherty. He was he was at Oregon for a minute, if you remember. Um, Yeah. And he'd been at UCLA for the last uh, three years working with uh, DTR. Um, The thing about Jimmy Doherty that I the most sticks out to me is, first of all, he is the uh, longtime like he's a son of a legendary longtime high school coach. The dude lives and breathes football. He's young. He's like relevant. He'll, I think, I, I think that he'll be okay. He's going to have to do a better job recruiting at the quarterback position than I think that he did in his time at UCLA. I will never forget that Jimmy Doherty was one of two college football coaches to have ever blocked me on Twitter uh, because I pointed out. <laughs> Because I pointed out when he was at Oregon that the picture that he had found on the internet of ducks that were supposed to be flying in a V formation um, were actually flying in a formation of like uh, an ejaculating erect penis. (laughs) Yes, I remember that. And which is like, I, I got to find the tweet because it was the funniest. I, I screenshot it because it's the funniest thing I saw in, in the world at the time that it happened. And I, and I was like, somebody's going to have to tell Coach Doherty that ducks don't fly in this formation. And he blocked me, but he he like unblocked me a, a, a year later, which was nice. Um, and I look forward to working with him if he has any questions about Arizona prospects. Um, 
but I, I mean, he, he's fine. They have uh, Jordan Pow Pow, the tight ends coach from University of Washington, who Jimmy Lake did not retain when he took over. And, and then he spent the last year at UNLV. His recruiting area when he was at Washington was Arizona. So I'd see him out and about quite a bit. He knows the area. So that'll at least be helpful for them. Scotty Graham is their running backs coach is kind of interesting to me because Scotty Graham was the, um, He's like the associate AD at Arizona State University. He was not a position coach. He was uh, he was like the AD over Champions Life or something like that. Really good dude. Really, really good dude. Um, can he recruit uh, running backs? We'll find out. Um, they're pretty stacked at running back uh, as far as the only position that they're probably stacked at um, down there. Uh, and then they, the, the probably the most interesting offensive staff hire that they got was Kevin Cummings, who was the wide receivers coach at San Jose State, who might actually also bring with him their leading receiver. Um, and it's very interesting to me that Brent Brennan was supposed to get this job and his wide receivers coach ended up taking <laughs> taking his uh, his bags to Tucson anyway uh, and might actually leave with the best receiver um, and bring him with. And, uh, and, and ever since they announced this offensive staff, they, they did land, um, Northwestern starting running back the last three years, Drake Anderson, um, who is a son of Damian Anderson, former Arizona Cardinal. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting, uh, addition. Um, but they have so many holes here. I mean, they, they, I think they had 12 spots that they had the ability to take, uh, after the, the recruits that they had already signed in the early signing period. So they're going to need to get as many of these transfers from all over the country as possible in order to fill out this roster. This is going to be an 0-12 team, man. Yeah, there's – yeah, they can't even get lucky and win. So this is a case almost like – Jonathan Smith's first year at Oregon State. They had fallen so far down. Actually, they're even in a worse spot than Oregon State was. And your but, hey, but Oregon State fans love that hire. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm 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 saying like in terms of how you're gonna judge it. You're yeah. gonna judge it based upon growth. Like yeah. did you get beat you 70 to 7 by your rival? Exactly. You're gonna be like, oh, we lost 45 this. 45 to 21. All right. And then, <laughs> then the next year you lose 32 to, you know, 18. You're like, okay. And then you lose, you know, 25, 23. And you're like, okay, we're, we're almost back. <laughs> That's where, I mean, this is a full rebuild for this team. Um, what do you make of the transfer portal? I actually, yeah, what, what what do you make of what's going on with the transfer portal? Because it's popping, it's booming. More kids have more kids are in it now than have ever been in it. And for me, I just look at it and I'm saying some of these kids are getting some really really bad advice. I see that that's just it for me though, George. Who's telling them to go into the portal? It's got to be like the devil on their shoulder or their dad's. Like that's the only thing that I can think of is some, some of these dads are, are out of their mind, but it can't like, it can't be unless they're straight up just being recruited, which is going to exist again, by the way, like recruiting of players on other teams already existed in some uh, form or another. It didn't always involve coaches, but I remember, I remember going to a passing clinic uh, a couple years back and, um, 
Manny Wilkins was there at the passing clinic and it was before his senior year at Arizona state and Emmanuel Butler was there. And Emmanuel Butler has been, I think on the practice squad of the new Orleans saints for the last couple of years. And he was at Northern Arizona university. He was a huge miss for the entire pac 12 and for the entire mountain West. He ended up in the big sky where he had like three, 1000 yard seasons in a row. He was six, four two twenty. very obvious. Like that. This was, an incredible talent that never in a million years should have been uh, missed on. And I think the reason that people missed on him was because he was the third best receiver on his high school team. Uh, His high school team had um, the Gatorade player of the year who went to university of Oregon. You might remember him. Uh, He transferred to Northwestern after a couple of years. He had back issues. Was his name Jalen Brown or something like that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then Timmy yeah. Hernandez, who, who was a, a big time player for uh, Oregon state for a really long time. So this dude, Emmanuel Butler completely fell through the cracks. And I watched at this passing camp, Manny Wilkins told him to transfer to Arizona state, like every five seconds. And then as we were leaving, I had said something to Manny Wilkins. Cause we had had a back and forth on Twitter. Um, of course we did a, a couple of weeks before that. And I was like, Hey, we're good. Right. And he's like, yeah, we're good. He's like, but you want to be the one to break the news when e comes to ASU. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but like, he never did. But like that type of recruiting is constant. When kids go back home, they're always trying to hustle people to say like, Hey, you know, if we got a spot, you want me to talk to a, you want me to talk to one of the coaches to see if we got a spot that if you were, were to test the waters, if you could come over that type of stuff already happens, but we're getting to the level where it's like, there are so many kids in the portal that it would not be completely insane for one of these position coaches to get on the phone with somebody's dad, which I'm sure is already happening and saying, Hey, tell your kid to get in the portal. We got a spot for him. Like, so, so that's where we're at now. And I just don't know. I don't know who is telling these kids that this is a good idea because it is such a bad idea. There are probably close to a thousand college football players who are good enough to play college football at a high level somewhere who will not have a team next year. They just won't even ever be able to play again. And their intention will have been to play, but there won't be a spot for them. Well, see, and I think that people aren't really paying attention to the fact that that the numbers that transfer portal guys, they count against the scholarship limits. So you can't sign a full class of 25 unless the, the, the numbers are different for your school for that particular year and you're able to sign more. But if you sign a full, if you have 25 spots, and you bring a kid in in the transfer portal, he counts against that. So that's one less kid that you can sign. So the idea that, oh, yeah, we're just going to grab everybody out of the portal, it doesn't work like that. So I, and going into the portal needs to be, for the most part, like firing a head coach. If you fire your head coach and you have no idea who you're going to hire next, you're a moron. You so a kid, yeah. so a kid before he jumps in the portal, needs put a couple feelers out and have an idea who actually wants him. Like that should be before you hop in the portal. Make sure that you are wanted, because if you're not wanted, then that's going to put you in a position where like your back is up against the wall. 
Yeah, and there, I mean, there's some of these, there's some of these kids where it's obvious. Like Jamari Joyner, he came out of University of Arizona, and I, I, I think I had tweeted like, "You're an idiot. You're an absolute idiot if you don't pursue him because he, he, he has some, he is somebody athletically that has the potential to be one of the best players in the country. Can he put it together? Will he be in the right situation? I don't know, but I mean, immediately he was followed by like a hundred college coaches. Immediately. Um, like guys like that, it's very obvious that they're going to have a spot. Um, you know, for, for a lot of these other guys, it's very, it's very questionable, right? Like I'm seeing some people enter the portal who were walk-ons, but because they wore the Jersey for a couple of years, they think, and they're gambling when they do this, they think that if they enter their name into the portal and they got two years worth of photos of them in, uh, in an Oregon state Jersey, that that's going to mean that some big sky school comes along and wants to pay their tuition. But that big sky school is going to have a crack at guys like Connor Murphy out of USC or something like that. Like, you know, that it's just not what you think it's going to be. And I worry that a lot of these guys that are entering the portal, if they don't already have a spot in mind, um, are going to be in trouble. And that's so North, Northwestern took two really good kids out of Arizona a couple years back, Gunnar Maldonado and Drake Anderson. They entered the portal and they committed to Arizona immediately. So like they knew, they knew what they were going to do. They knew where they were going. That was, you know, that was academic, but some of these people are just like, all right, I'm going to trust the process. I'm going into the portal and I don't know, man. I I really don't like. Uh, uh, who was it that just jumped in for um, uh, for for Arizona State today that I was looking at? Uh, K- KJ um, KJ Durrell, former four star, um, out of uh, out of Saguaro High School, out here. He just never really put on weight, and. Um, and because he never really put on weight and because they just kind of kept recruiting over him uh, at, at his position, you know, it wasn't, um, it, it was pretty clear that he wasn't going to be uh, somebody who played. And so he waited until now to enter his name into the portal. And do you want to know, <laughs> do you want to know wh- which college coaches followed him after he put his name in the portal Ooh. after being a four-star recruit and a hometown Ooh. hero? Abilene Christian, Eastern Washington, I mean, West Texas A&M, Northeastern State University. Like, that's Weber State. That's what level we're talking about. So, and and even then, they might not have spots. They might be weighing you against three other four stars who didn't play. Um, You know, so it's it's just... I don't know, man. It's a really, really tough environment out there, and I want the absolute best for 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 everybody and for all these kids. And I, I want that. What I want is I want the NCAA to step in. I want the NCAA to step in and say, like, "Hey, we know that the scholarship limit is eighty-five, and we know that your scholarship limit is twenty-five. Uh, so if any of you out there, and, and then you have to be really careful with this because the rich always get richer, right? But what you'd have to say is like, "Hey, so let's say you can that stay you, at eighty-five, but." You could stay at 85, but if you haven't won, like if you don't have a winning percentage over like 400 over the last three combined years or something like that, 
you here's five extra to get you up to but I mean, the college coach was a complaint about that like they're so concerned with equity all the time and then everything that's disguised as equity always goes to make the rich richer oh but- dude and somebody will lose a game on purpose at the end of the season they will go full <laughs> uh philadelphia eagles on them and that's what I mean. It'd have to be like a one-time solution to where, to where they're telling like where to where they're saying that if your current scholarship limit as is, is at like 77 or something like that, you can get three, you can go get three out of the transfer portal. Um, but then like the weird thing about that is it just creates a weird run and you might have more people jump into the portal to try to hop. And so, I don't know, man. It's just, there's not really a good solution. I've been thinking about this all week about what a good solution would be to try and get everybody back to the, back to the point where the average school isn't sitting at 76 scholarships when their limit is 85, knowing that they're going to go into next year, not taking 25 high schoolers because the transfer portal exists. Yeah, there has to be something that gets people back at least up to 80, you know, and I can't think of something that wouldn't create an enormous, massive. Otherwise, they would kick kids out. They would push kids out into the portal who who were underachieving to bring other kids in. Yeah. So it's this is a situation like black coaches getting getting hired. (laughs) All the solutions like involve something that has unintended consequences and that some of them just don't feel right. So like people should just do the right thing from the beginning. Um, So on the recruiting front though, right now, so we already did our recruiting special where we went over it, but there's a bunch of, there's been some movement at the all American game. USC had a great all American game. They got two commitments. One of them had already signed in Corey Foreman, who's the, the the number one player in the nation, depending on what site you're looking at. And you had, and they signed one of the top cornerbacks out of. Well, they got a commitment from one of the top cornerbacks, Sierra Wright from Loyola. So, what do you? Uh, did anybody else pick up any commitments recently? Ah, portal portal oh. commitments. There were a few of those. Oh, um, UCLA did. UCLA did. They got that. Um, UCLA got that offensive. I'm sorry, that defensive lineman. Um, hold up, let me pull up his name. He's a four star defensive lineman. His name is. Uh, oh Lord. Oh oh. Uh, Tia Tia Ali Savea. Close enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. So there, there were a couple. Um, none were surprises. Corey Foreman had signed previously. Um, I think Sierra Wright was a was a little bit more of a mystery. Uh, but there's a reason that Dante Williams got announced as assistant head coach and got a pay bump before Corey Foreman ever announced where he was going to school. Like that should have been the tip off. I remember you sent that to me and I just kind of laughed and I was like, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, uh, he's definitely, um, <laughs> you know, he, he's the reason that they're relevant again. 
so yeah, but you're, you're right. Uh, UCLA got another big defensive lineman out of Las Vegas, um, 76. And their defensive line is, dude, it looks nice. UCLA defensive recruiting the last two years deserves a lot of credit. A lot of credit. And without those recruits even really being part of things right now, and the fact that their defense played a lot better than both you and I projected that they would play, this could be the start of something special um, out there. Yeah, dude, they, UCLA has definitely improved, dude. Definitely improved. And so I am wondering what, like, what the ceiling is. Because, oh, okay, so people were saying, oh, Chip Kelly's going to be out. He sold his house in Encino, his $7 million house in Encino. He's planning on picking up and getting out. This is clear that that's not going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, it's very clear that he's there to uh, stay. So that is a big deal. This team is is making a move. And it seems like Chip is actually putting more effort into recruiting than he had in the past. And I think that that Jordan thing is a big deal. That Jordan thing is a major deal. It's definitely helpful. Um, and they needed it because if, if USC behind Dante Williams is going to continue to be relevant and they were the – I think the number eight overall team, according to rivals after adding Corey Foreman and, and Sierra Wright, and they flipped Kyron Ware Hudson, um, which is a really big deal. And they really protected their backyard from ASU who was trying to go in there and, um, and, and, uh, and prove that they could do this two years in a row. Um, you know, that I, and the fact that Jackson Dart was, you know, somebody that they added on top of already having Miller Moss. Um, th- that was really big for them. And so I think that, yeah, and the, the rich get richer. You know, I was at the Fiesta Bowl and I heard, uh, you know, a lot of people talking about um, Ty Thompson and where he fits in. And they, you know, they didn't watch him as much as, as I did. I don't think anybody involved in covering Pac-12 football knows what they're talking about outside of a college coach more than I do when it comes to Ty Thompson. I've been watching him play in person for three years. I don't think he's as ready made to go as everybody wants to make him out to be. Um, but he is a very, very special football player, very special. And he could, you know, I, I project really, really special things for him. I just don't think it's going to be next year. Um, but you know, you, you and I talked about the fact that, uh, Jonathan flow, we didn't know if he was going to be, uh, able to sign with Oregon or not. And he, he did end up signing. Um, no, no, they got him at the, so he committed, he, he, he committed. He didn't sign yet though. Are you sure? I thought they announced him. I thought that they announced him on the last day of the early signing period, right before we took a little bit of a break. Huh? Let me look and see if he actually signed. Nope. They have him as a signee now. Wait, hold really? on. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought I thought that uh, I thought University of Oregon actually like ended yes. up announcing him right yes, under they, the deadline. C- correct. Yes. So he was just a commit. So that means that he got his grades together, which is a good which is a good thing. So that's good for for, for him because you don't want a kid who is not going to qualify 
you know, who is talented enough to qualify. Like I played in high school with guys like that. Yeah. And that sucks. And, and so the, the, the two schools right now that I'm the most concerned about, well, number one is Stanford. Far and away, Stanford is the most concerning recruiting class when you combine it with the fact that they probably aren't going to get a ton of transfers because of the way that things work there and that you might continue to see what you saw last year, which is people transferring out. Um, because they can't get into grad school, among other reasons. And then you also saw a bunch of guys declare for the draft. Which brings me to my next topic that I want to talk to you about. What in the absolute hell are some of these Pac-12 players thinking going into the draft? And it's not all of them. Some of them are completely understandable. But George, what is going on? Like, okay, uh, let's just go through a few. uh, Because... Uh, I, and there's got to be a list somewhere, and I'll try to pull it up. And in the meantime, I'm going to run through some of these names with you. And some of them you, you'll probably be fine with, especially based on some stuff you've already said on this podcast. But let's let's just start off with Gary Brightwell. Gary Brightwell declared for the NFL draft. What do you think of that one? Gary Brightwell, I, I can't. Okay, so re- remember, I'm a Gary Brightwell guy, right? Yeah. And I do believe that he is going to, um, that he can be a good NFL player. However, you do not get the opportunity that you should as an undrafted player. I'm not even sure if he's going to get a combine invite. So you you put yourself behind the eight ball. If I were him, I would have rather transferred to some other place because everybody else is leaving Arizona may have transferred like like going to the league is not your only option staying where you are or going somewhere else or should be all be explored before you press the nuclear button the nfl is nuclear uh, it, like there's no going back from there give yourself options that's not it yeah so the, that that was one that i was really curious to see your take on because I felt like he was borderline and I know that you think he could be really good, but even JJ Taylor, who he's sort of a clone of, I think he, did he either go undrafted or went into the seventh round to the Patriots? And that was with much more of a resume. And so that it's, it's scary out there, man. Uh, Here's a couple others. I think you'll, you'll find interesting. Stanford had a bunch. Um, They had uh, Drew Dahlman, Malik Antoine, Paulson Adebo, and Davis Mills. And then, of course, the, their their big uh, Foster Serrell, who we just assumed that was probably going to be the case for him anyway. Yeah, because he, yeah for sure. Yeah, he, he he's somebody who an NFL team is definitely going to take a chance on. Um, but I, I was looking forward to watching Stanford play next year, uh, and now I'm not so sure. Yeah, this so you don't know who their quarterback is. And and mind you, they're already under the scholarship limit. Like they came into the season not at 85. They came in closer to like 70, 72. Yeah. Well, and I, I don't even think I said his name. It's Simi Fajoko, who I thought was a really good college wide receiver. That was the he one gone. where I was like, man, I he, think he gone. <laughs> yeah, he gone. Um. Well, okay, so how about somebody who had a pretty good body of work and I don't think was going to add to his resume, Jamar Jefferson from Oregon State? That made sense to me. 
because if you weren't in love with him already, but the, but the difference is that sometimes the year makes a difference. Like if you have a bunch of big time backs coming out in your draft, then maybe you want to wait, but that doesn't seem to be the case this year. So I don't, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I think that he's a kid who showed what he can do. All, all his skills are on di- display. He wasn't going to have some sort some sort of Heisman caliber year. But, you know, like if you do enough, like you like you put yourself in a big time spot. So but but he wasn't going to generate enough buzz surrounding him and his name to where people were going to, uh, you know, all of a sudden think he's a big time draft guy. Yeah. Like, for instance, a name that has been who is a Heisman finalist, all of this stuff. But do you realize that this dude is not a top draft pick? is Kyle Trask. I've talked to a couple of GM, I'm sorry, a couple of scouts about it. They're like, this dude's like a mid-round pick. But 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 people watching TV would think he's the next coming. But the dude's got a noodle for an arm. He doesn't, like, he can't do all the things. It's his wide receivers. Yeah. He is the Ken Dorsey of, of quarterbacks. He's, he's from that class. Who was ultimately a six-round draft pick? Man, um, all right. Well, let's let's talk about uh, your alma mater. Let's talk about Brady Breeze. Let's talk about. I mean, we we already know some of these guys, right? That that they they opted out of the season completely. Yeah. So he opted out because he thought that he had reached where he his ceiling was. People were questioning his athleticism and yeah. and all of that. So he wanted to train and get better, faster, improve his numbers. And I'm like. Yeah, but you pr- but you can prove that on the field. Like, yes, if your numbers are great, pe- people are still going to say, "Oh, he's stiff. He's this. He's that." But yeah. you know, people they they get to make their choices. Sometimes it works out for them, and sometimes it doesn't. And we're and we're saying, I mean, look at the two kids from Washington last year. They're two juniors. Where where are they at right now? Right, right. And Washington, Washington surprised me because they, uh, um, you know, they had a. Uh, uh, Levi, uh, on, Oh my God, I'm going to slaughter this. It's been six years. I covered him in high school and I still can't say on on There we go. Yeah. Um, but the, the, Washington had quite a few, um, Keith Taylor off, off the defense is, is gone. Um, Elijah Molden, you know, none of these are super controversial for me. Um, I, I thought that the USC players that left, I think the reason you go to USC is to put yourself in a position to be able to go. So, you know, with Vera Tucker and, and, uh, um, to a fele and all those guys, especially Amon Ross St. Brown, like n- none of that surprises me. The, the ones that really like, shocked me were first of all Nishan Wright, Oregon State. I don't think he had any business leaving. I think he actually could have improved his stock. I thought Hamilcar Rashid hurt his stock this year by not declaring last year and could have used uh a prove it year, but he, you know, he he has it in his head that he's been disrespected his entire college career. So he's gonna go. Um and then the one that has me scratching my head the most is Frank Darby. Frank Darby was given a gift by the NCAA to be able to come back in a full season with a quarterback as a junior who is a really special football player who really has developed a lot of chemistry with you. Um, 
and he had six catches this year. Six. And I've never heard anybody look at Frank Darby and say, that guy is definitely uh, NFL material. He's for sure going to get drafted. And I guess the most confusing thing about it to me also is that his roommate is uh, Chase Lucas. And Chase Lucas, who had a great year and and is a three-year starter at or a four-year starter, my bad, he's a four-year starter at cornerback, is actually coming back to ASU to run it back one more time. Uh, and Frank Darby, not only did Frank Darby declare, but he got signed by Drew Rosenhaus. So what am I missing here? I don't know, bro. I, I don't know. I, and especially in this pandemic time, I can't even tell you what people are thinking and what they're planning on doing in this situation. Um, the last thing we have to talk about, though, actually, are there are there any more guys that we need to? I mean, I think you you and I could probably. Uh, well, first of all, uh, Osa uh, Digizua from UCLA. He he's leaving on a high note. I thought that was the right thing to do. Um, Talano Hafanga, USC. I think he's leaving on a high note. That's the right thing to do. Demetric Felton, same thing. Uh, Elijah Griffin is the interesting one to me because not only did Elijah Griffin declare. Um, he did it right after probably making one of the dumbest plays I've ever seen in the history of college football. Oh, in the Oregon game. Yeah. And then after he declared, the response was from guys like Petros, who have a massive media following in the area, was to make fun of him uh, and his antics uh, right after he, he declared. And so his reputation is terrible. He... He his reputation is one of not being able to read the room. And I felt that by declaring for the NFL draft, that was just a continuation of that. Um, yeah, I, I so Elijah Griffin to me is the one that I if we're going to talk about anybody, we should probably bring his name up. Yeah, I, he he's a penalty machine like he's clearly talented. I think he, I don't think he's ready to be an NFL player at this point in time, but you know, I don't know, man. I I just don't know who's advising these kids a lot of times. So, so yeah. I just, so that. and you never know because that, and then there are guys that I was a hundred percent sure, you know, there's a guy that left the PAC 12 Bubba Bolden. Who's at Miami hundred percent sure. Like not only is that guy physically ready, he should probably, he should probably capitalize right now. And he put out a video today saying he's running it back. They're chasing a national championship at the U. And I was like, well, that, that, that's fascinating to me. You know, I, you, you never know what somebody's going through or what, what, what it is they're trying to accomplish. But I can't imagine that with every single year, there's a trend of people who leave early, never get drafted, never even sniff the NFL. Um, that, that those people don't have some way to communicate to the kids who are on the teams now or aren't used as poster boys by the programs who are trying to keep some of these people in. Uh, I, I, I just can't imagine that there is a lack of warning signs out there for these kids, but everybody wants to believe that they're the best. And, and that's part of the competitive spirit, right? Everybody wants to believe that they're the best and they're ready. And I'm, I don't know, man, you left early. Uh, you had you your your draft stock fell a little bit. You went way after you thought you were going to go. You made a career out of it anyway. 
But let's say that somebody's projected to be a fifth rounder and they don't get drafted. That's much different than your situation. Yeah. Yep. So, okay. So, and I'm a kid who left early. Well, I'm no longer a kid, but <laughs> I, I left early and I left early with a third round grade and like a two to two to three grade ended up getting drafted at the beginning of the fourth, fourth round there. They said I had character issues, all of this stuff, even though I had never been in trouble, but they were like the people that you hang around. So, so, so here, here's how it worked. So I get the desire to leave early, but you have to like, not just say, Oh, I'm going to make it in the league. You have to say I'm because they don't understand that when you don't come to when you don't come in the NFL with a high draft stock, well, high draft status, it lowers your leash. It lowers the opportunity that you have to make teams. It lowers the opportunity that you have for every single thing. It's a disaster, dude. Like it's not even like if you're a six round draft pick and you roll an ankle, you may get cut as it, because you can't practice and some undrafted guy is balling. Or if you're a second round draft pick or a first round draft pick and you roll a roll an ankle, they say, oh, man, can't can't wait till this guy gets gets healthy. He's going to be a contributor for us. Right. That's the difference. And then if you don't play well your first year and you're a first round draft pick or a second round draft pick, even a third. And you're just kind of you're you're not doing terrible, but you're just doing okay. They're gonna be like, oh man, we gotta find a coach to develop this kid. Like they blame it on the coaching then instead of you. Like you have to be ultimate saboteur, like um, like the kid out of Washington to for to get out of the league before your second year as a first round draft pick. Like it's it's some crazy stat like seventy five, like sixty five or seventy five percent of all first round draft picks end up in their end up getting completing five years in the NFL. Right, but then everybody looks to the everybody looks to the one or two guys who did it, and they they take them as the the example and not the uh, <laughs> and not the exception. Yeah, well, see, it, like, well, those are the same people that'll tell you that stars don't matter in recruiting. They don't matter on an individual basis, but when you look at the group or a collective, the numbers are accurate. Yeah, no, so I, I, I know what you're talking about. I just earlier tonight, um, and this might not have been this person's intent, but it's definitely what popped up in my mind. I said these were the five wide receivers ranked above Heisman winner Devontae Smith in the class of 2017. Number one, Donovan Peoples-Jones went sixth round to the Browns last year. Number two, T. Higgins, who went second round to the Bengals last year. Number three, Jerry Judy, who went first round to the Broncos last year. Travon Grimes, who's entering the 2021 NFL draft after transferring from Auburn to Florida and having sort of a mediocre uh, collegiate career. He did have nine touchdowns last year. And then DJ Matthews, who was at Florida state for three years before sitting out this year due to transfer rules. And he'll be at university of Indiana next year. And one of the replies was way down in the back of the basement. There's a two-star recruit named Justin Jefferson Vikings first round pick of the NFL record holder for most receiving yards by a rookie. Like awesome. <laughs> like I, that's, 
That Did is, you see all the other guys' names who were actually called? And then think about all the two, all the guys who were ranked below Devontae Smith, all the way down to when you get to Jamar Jefferson. Right. Like, and that, that's the exception. That's a really, really 500 cool guys in between there. Yeah. And I mean, and and like, I think the number 10 guy was like CeeDee Lamb or something like that. Like it is it, 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 four and five stars. You have a pretty good chance of doing something um, really, really special, uh, you know, because all of the physical tools are already there. You know, Justin Jefferson, 6'2", 175, that's a dime a dozen. You know, you have to develop a lot of really, really great school uh, uh, tools and instincts. Now, should have he been a two star? No. Like does does rivals you know do we deserve to get made fun of for that one? Yes, but he also got a scholarship to LSU. Like there, there's probably something more there that we don't necessarily like. We probably just failed to evaluate him or have the opportunity to evaluate him because if LSU picked him up and put him on scholarship, then there's a really good chance that at least somebody knew what they were talking about. You know, because I, I remember I went viral and I didn't intend to, but I went viral for a tweet about how LSU was Tyron Matthews only offer. And the reason yeah. I went viral is because Tyron Matthews searches his own name on Twitter and he, he 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 tweeted it out. Right. So I had probably like 300 people in my replies saying, yeah, that's because he committed early, you idiot. And my point was not that he was <laughs> overlooked. My point was that it only takes one school to believe in you. And my audience is high school kids. Also, I work for rivals. So I'm not going to say that like rankings are bad or whatever. And also he was like a four star. So that it wasn't, people definitely took it the wrong, wrong, wrong way. Um, but the, the, the moral of the story is you with Justin Jefferson, he ended up at LSU and playing for a national championship team like there was something there it's just that you know we missed the boat on it somehow yep <laughs> those things happen and those things are outliers um the the last thing that we have talked about is the pac-12 awards so we had the um the where are they at the i pulled them okay the pac-12 awards you had Jarek broussard win offensive player of the year pat tillman defensive player of the year uh telenoa hafunga from usc who i think he's a good player but i think that his i don't think that he's going to get the nfl love like like people think he he reminds me of uh darnell bing from usc where he's a really good tackler he's fast but his coverage he's not good in coverage like he's not good in coverage um um and then freshman of the year freshman offensive player of the year ty jordan from utah which is a sad sad story um defensive player of the year freshman is noah sewell and coach of the year is carl Durrell from colorado okay I just have wait what what the hell is Nextiva? Uh, it's it's like uh, Pacific Seafood. They have a they have a sponsor for the awards that they give out. Okay, so all of the Pac twelve awards are it's not a television are, network. Are sponsored by Next presented by Nextiva, except for the Pac 
Tillman Defensive Player of the Year. I just Googled because it's a Nextiva is a voice over internet protocol company based in Scottsdale, Arizona. It focuses right, on the area of cloud-based communication in use by 150,000 businesses. Oh, okay. So I, so I, I think the thing, so somebody's going to see that Carl Durrell won coach of the year and they're going to, they're going to call up next and say, I want my business to use your phone cloud services. Thanks. Pac 12. <laughs> exactly. Dude. It looks it looks terrible right now. It, it doesn't even make make sense. But but anyways, did you have any problem with any of those um, winners? Oh no way! No, I mean I wouldn't say that like it's perfect, but I there's nothing about the major awards that they gave out that are uh, that that I felt there was any glaring exclusions. I think my biggest issue was that like <laughs> you know it's like based on what. You know, it, 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 the fact that we're acting like this is a normal year feels a lot weirder than than anything else to me. Um, I thought, you know, J- Jerry Broussard did some really special stuff and they had a little bit more of a body of work. Um, that, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty OK with it. Uh, they specially nailed the freshman offensive and defensive player of the year and the coach of the year thing. Um, you and I talked about, I think back and forth on Twitter when somebody had thrown, uh, Mario Cristobal's name into the mix for like a national award. And it was like, no, this is, this is Carl Durrell. Like they were not allowed to practice. He wasn't, he hadn't even met the team yet. They outshined expectations. They took a game on short notice and beat San Diego state who had been a PAC 12 thorn in the ass. Right. Like that. No, like Colorado definitely deserved the the shine here, and so I'm. I, that's the I'm. I'm glad about that. I'm really glad that uh, that they they gave Carl Durrell that recognition. I thought that was really important. He's a two time Pac-12 Coach of the Year now. That's wild, isn't it? Yep. Um, okay, so I didn't have any problem with any of the awards. I wouldn't have given them to anybody else. Um, my only okay so but what did you think about some of the all conference teams because the team i mean even john wilner talks about it so does ken kenzano somebody clearly hates oregon the other coaches have animosity against oregon because they don't get very many players on the all conference team and it's weird it is very very weird it's possible. I, there's a couple of Oregon issues on here. Like, uh, was was uh, Mikael Wright really that much better than Diamador Lenore this year? I don't think so. Like, I, I I definitely I do not feel that to be the case. Um, also, uh, they gave Noah Sewell freshman of the year, but he's not on the first or second team defense. No. How crazy be. is that? I mean, yeah. that was the that was the same thing like last year. Um, the uh, kid Drake from. USC, he was on the all conference team, but then but Thibodeau won freshman and he was like behind Drake, right? We had talked yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, how though? How sway? How? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it, like, again, it's such a weird year that it's hard for me to really 
take exception with it. I can point out a couple of things I thought they did right. Like um, Zion Tupeloa Fatui from, from Washington deserved to be on first team and they had him there. Osa Adigizua, he deserved to be on, on first team and, and they had him there. So I, I liked that. Um, Isaiah Polamau not even making second team defense uh, was stupid in, in my opinion. Um, uh, Jermaine Lole not making second team defense was uh, a little bit uh, weird for me. Um, Chris, Steele, Chris Steele making it as a DB from USC. Oh, absolutely was- not. No, he was a, he, he was a detriment. Who yes. the hell? Like <laughs> uh, the Chris Steele making it over Isaiah Pullum out is nonsense. <laughs> it's not. I was like, what? Stop it. He had a dude. He's a penalty magnet. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I thought that that was wild. I thought that, I was like, how does he make this team? Yeah. And I, I did believe- one of my favorite honoree though. You have to love that jet toner got second team kicker. After, after missing four straight field goals, yeah, yeah, they like good for him, right? Like he that his first four kicks, and then yeah. you're like, okay, well, there wasn't much competition. And I um, do also, I appreciate that the Pac-12 added a second, um, a second tight end to the second team because the tight ends, I mean, probably the best position group uh, in the Pac-12 this year was running back. But the tight ends were pretty close. Like, there were a lot of really good tight ends, which reminds me, we didn't talk about Hunter Campmoyer declaring. Holy hell. Uh, no, 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 no. He, he's more, I'm done playing football, kind of. Oh, okay. I mean? okay. Like, and, and, if, and if I get picked, I'll, or like, if I get a chance to go I'll, to camp, I'll, I'll do check. it. Okay. Yeah, but he's not, he's, he's not like, oh, like, I'm going to the NFL. No, he's like, I'm done playing football in college <laughs> yeah i graduated i'm done what do you think of the fact that there is not a single university of arizona player on here um i, I think thought, that- I, anthony pandy and roy lopez were okay they could have they could have found a way to squeeze one of them on here <laughs> oh my gosh yeah, who who are you gonna put in? Yeah, yeah, I, I see. Um, I don't know. It, it you, they did the best they could in under the circumstances. I don't. I think this. It, what's funny is this might have been the one of the better jobs they've ever done with it. Uh, and it came with a complete lack of information available. Um, but yeah, I I, I don't know. There, there's a couple of, uh, there's definitely a couple of ASU players uh, that that deserved a little bit more recognition, in my opinion. Evan Fields led the entire team in tackles. Um, he was just an honorable mention. Rashad White's numbers were crazy, but they only played in four games. So what are you going to do? Um, I don't know though. UCLA played well. Here's an interesting one to me: is DTR second team quarterback? Only three quarterbacks are honored. Did DTR deserve to be on there above um, anybody else? I guess is there anybody within the conference as a quarterback okay. that I, I mean, probably okay, maybe if, if, if if you're gonna look at the numbers, right? Like if you're gonna look at numbers, yeah, then you would have to say, even though I wasn't in love with how how he played, 
Tyler Shug clearly had the numbers to be on a Pac-12 all-conference team. Right. And I, I would throw Sam Norrier off of there. I mean, granted, that that, that could be on, <laughs> that could be because I saw the the uh Utah game and the bowl game. So okay. that could be that I'm I'm giving you that. He played better in the beginning of the season, so I could have some recency bias, but yeah, that's where yeah. So but I there's would no pro- like there's no Davis Mills on here. That's crazy yeah. to me. Yeah, and oh oh duh. And I would th- I would throw Sam Noyer off and put Davis Mills on. Um Dorian Thompson Robinson played okay. I mean but he also like, he also had his own fans telling him that his backup was better than him for a good part of the year. Yeah, and they were wrong. <laughs> I yeah, and oh, my, I agree. mind you, I said it for like 30 seconds too, but it it was more like like funny haha. <laughs> I don't know. It's not bad. It's not bad. I feel bad that Washington State didn't have more games because I think they'd probably be better represented, especially Travell Harris. Travell Harris had a really good early portion of the year, and he, I thought he you was know who got no love and is your guy. Why Hamilcar? Yep, but he had a terrible year. I told you, I told you, dude. Only I told you about that, dude. Well, you, t- you didn't tell you didn't tell me anything. You didn't tell I me anything. A, I said he's okay. Yeah, he's not a game. He's an edge rusher. Dude, that's you can't. You can only be a game changer as an edge rusher if you have the DBs and the D line to support your skill set. He should have probably left. He should have left. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I, so we'll see. I, I could see him probably going undrafted. Unfortunately, he, but uh, he's also a guy that could put in like absolutely ridiculous workout numbers. So you never know how that, that, and, and that could be the ultimate deciding factor for a lot of these NFL teams. Cause there's just not a ton of other stuff to go off of, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. Did we say enough things about Washington in this podcast or do we got to say like two or three more nice things so we don't get beat up? Man. We, need some review. we need some reviews. We need some reviews. And we got some. Oh, I know we got Washington fan listeners that listen to this show. So we, we, so we can bribe them. <laughs> do we have any new reviews? We, 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 we do not have any new reviews from the break of us not doing any shows. <laughs> oh, well, that would that would kind of make sense, right? right. Um, so you guys, yeah, leave your reviews. And you guys are listening to the Pac-12 Apostles podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Um, please share with a friend. Tell a friend about it. Peace out. Catch you guys next episode. All right, hold hold on real quick. Let me record some because I forgot to say that at the beginning. Okay. And of course, make sure that you leave a review and leave a rating because one of our favorite segments of this podcast is to read our reviews and to talk about them. So make sure that you leave a review for the Pac-12 Apostles. <laughs>